We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Steve Zabin will be a guest on the show today. So will Scott Van Pelt, two guests on this Monday, April 11th. Uh, Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. It's a big help when you do that. Saturday was crazy. Tommy and I were recording the podcast when right in the middle of recording the podcast, we got the news um, that Dwayne Haskins had been killed uh, in South Florida. And we uh, edited the podcast to put that at the front of the podcast, our reaction to it, um, as we learned about it. It was awful. Uh, And even though, you know, I'm a huge golf fan and the Masters was a big sports story, you know, I certainly found myself consumed with uh, all of the information related to Dwayne's death and all of the reaction to it, which um, we'll talk about here a little bit in the open before we get to Zabe and to Scott. I wanted to read to you from Les Carpenter's story in the Post yesterday uh, titled, Dwayne Haskins' Legacy Can't Be Measured with Statistics. Dwayne Haskins' smile was one of the first things that came to mind on the day he died. There was something inviting about the way happiness spread across his face, filling his cheeks and lighting his eyes. The smile was real, it was gentle, inviting, at times almost playful. And it showed the innocence of a young man trying hard to find himself in the unforgiving zero-sum world of professional football. It's always sad when bright, talented people die in their early 20s, But Haskins' death in the middle of a Fort Lauderdale, uh, Florida freeway, try to say that fast three times, Fort Lauderdale, Florida freeway, seems especially cruel because it was such an abrupt and brutal end to a life that held so much promise and appeared to be heading in the right direction. Haskins' biography is packed with more chapters than that of nearly anyone else just weeks short of turning 25. It's a complicated and often confusing story told most vividly in numbers, both with his jaw-dropping touchdown totals at Ohio State and the disappointing statistical line from his short time with Washington. But his legacy is not a quarterback rating, and his memory is bigger than a football career. He was warm, he was sweet, and there always seemed a hope that he was about to find his vast potential. It's a really good job by Les Carpenter. I would urge you to read the rest of it on Dwayne Haskins' uh, death, but it was um, those three paragraphs that kind of summed up a lot of it, um, but the last two lines in particular, he was warm, he was sweet, 
and there always seemed a hope that he was about to find his vast potential. And I think what we heard throughout the weekend from those closest to him, a lot of those people being his teammates, is what a kind person he was, how warm he was, how sweet he was, and how much they hoped that he was about to find or you know, um, realize that potential that he had. You know, I think I mentioned this on the podcast on Saturday that, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about Dwayne Haskins, obviously, and, and, and in this format, some of it's been very critical of him. Um, but I always mentioned, um, and Cooley actually mentioned it, you know, on the podcast at times, that when he was there, when Cooley was kind of part of the organization in 2019, Dwayne's rookie year, and he got to know Dwayne a little bit. Um, he, he kept saying, even in those turbulent times, he's such a nice kid. And, you know, and he's bright. He just needs to learn how to become a professional. And Cooley questioned whether or not there was anybody in the organization that could teach him how to be a professional. He even took, you know, t- took Dwayne off the hook in, in, in saying it's not his fault the, that he ended up in this organization and that there's nobody here to teach him how to be a pro, teach him how to study, teach him how to, you know, be a, a professional NFL quarterback. There was definitely a lack of maturity, and Cooley pointed to that, but would always say, but he's just a good kid. You know, he's a good, kind, you know, sweet kid, and he's bright and he's got potential, even though Cooley was very, very critical of the pick. I was too. I was not a big fan of Dwayne Haskins being drafted in the first round. Most of the football people in the organization weren't uh, fans of it. Uh, This was the owner's pick. We know that. We know that. I went back and listened to a podcast that I did with Jay Gruden in February of 2021, and there's a a segment uh, on the whole Dwayne Haskins situation. And it was funny because, uh, you know, in listening to it, you know, he talked about the dysfunction of the owner you know, essentially making the pick, much to the dismay of the football people. But he said, we we liked Dwayne as a prospect. We just didn't think he was a number 15 overall pick. We felt like we could get him in the second or third round. And remember, there was some conversation that it's possible had Washington not taken him that he may have lasted until the second round. But, you know, he said we liked him as a prospect, but we knew he had a long way to go at this level And then he said, I liked Dwayne. Dwayne was smart, and he made the comment. He said Dwayne was able to take in a lot of information for a guy that young. Um, But it was unfair for him to be there and unfair for us because we were in a year in which we had to win. They had traded for Case Keenum. Colt McCoy was coming back. And you can't develop, you know, two new guys, you know, at the same time. And knowing that there would also be pressure at some point to play him even though the owner said, don't rush it. Well, Jay said, I was in a position where I had to rush it. I had to win or I was gone. So it wasn't the best of situations. And we, we commented on that, you know, during the time. And look, you know, I'm the first to understand that at, at, at times we, we were critical of Dwayne. Um, but at times also, you know, we spoke to, you know, the dysfunctional situation that he was brought into. Um, but that's the format we're in. I mean, that's not going to change. You know, uh, you, you, you can't go back, and exp- you know, uh, upon the death of a 24-year-old person and say, God, I really, I really wish I hadn't, you know, uh, been as critical as I was for the game that he played against the, the Ravens that year uh, and then t- talked about his stats afterwards. I mean, that's what we do in this format. That's not going to change. 
you know, you can do a lot of things simultaneously. You can have, you know, uh, incredible sympathy for those that were truly impacted. You know, this is a son. This is a brother. This is a husband. Um, it's so, so sad. Um, but I thought that Les Carpenter in that, um, in the first few paragraphs really touched on what you heard from a lot of different people. This was from TJ Watt, one of his teammates in Pittsburgh, just a year that TJ Watt was with Dwayne Haskins. The world lost a great person today. When Dwayne first walked into the locker room, I could tell he was an upbeat guy. He was always making people smile, never taking life for granted. His impact on me will last forever. And then there was this. And this was the one that I read on Saturday that really was moving and so, so touching. And it came from Terry McLaurin his teammate in Washington, and his teammate and friend at Ohio State. And Terry tweeted out, quote, Devastated is the only word I can come up with right now. Dwayne always had a smile on his face and had a personality that was one of one. We talked the night we both were drafted about how hopeful we were for our futures and how excited we were to be able to play and compete together again. I thank God for the memories we shared and the conversations we had. I'll miss those so much. He was a man trying to become the best version of himself, just like we all are. He was excited to continue to compete for his dream, and I know, well, I know as well as those closest to him that his best years on and off the field were ahead of him. He was more than a phenomenal football player who could spin it like I've never seen to this day. He was a guy who wanted to see the ones around him win and have success. He was a man of God and spoke of his faith quite often. A beloved son, brother, husband, friend, and teammate. I'm heartbroken and pray he knew how much he was loved, how much I loved him. I would have given anything to see him win. His legacy on this earth will forever be felt because of the way he lived life and the way he impacted everyone he came in contact with. Until we meet again, brother, save a spot for me in that big end zone in the sky where we will celebrate again one day. Closed quote. That was from Terry McLaurin. Really beautiful. Um, and so... Uh, such a touching and moving tribute to someone that he really was friends with and he really knew this person. And that's what you got a sense of all weekend long is how well-liked he was. It's more important, you know, than being a great NFL football player. He made it to the NFL. He was a pretty damn good college quarterback. Um, and, uh, and that's, you know, in death, sometimes you get the exaggeration, you get the emphasis on the positive, but it was too overwhelmingly consistent, the messaging from those that were with him and knew him well. And that was the same thing Cooley had told me, you know, and he told me that off the, the, the air. He's really a nice, nice kid. You know, there was nothing, you know, remember there was some concern, right? You know, the 40 to $50 a head draft night party, the... The, the number seven, which, you know, I never blamed him for. That was a Dan Snyder thing, you know, giving uh, number seven to Dwayne Haskins. I, I disagreed with it then. I disagree with it now. But I blame that solely on, you know, the owner. Uh, the owner had to be the grown-up in that situation. Um, but, you know, he was really well-liked. Really well-liked. Um, when these stories happen... You know, you, you you take a moment to just let it 
kind of marinate a little bit, right? And Gil Brandt didn't do that. Um, I feel uh, I'll, I'll share my feelings uh, with you about what Gil Brandt said. And Adam Schefter tweeted out initially something that many thought was really grossly insensitive. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts on that um, here in a moment. But I, I did want to just mention the you know there are a couple of games that he played that I just remember specifically what I said after the games. When he beat Detroit for his first win when he was taking selfies, Tommy crushed him for it. I mean, not surprising, of course. Uh, I remember defending him, saying, uh, you know what, he's a kid. There was only a few seconds left. He thought the game was over. Let's give him a break. He, I don't want to ever see him do it again, but let's give him a break on this one. On a day in which I wrote in my game notes, you know, the things that I liked and didn't like about that particular game, the 2019 start against Detroit, his first win, I wrote, Dwayne Haskins played championship football in the fourth quarter, to which many of you ripped me for it. What? Because he was like 13 of 29 for 144 yards. He was not great statistically that day. But down 16-13, he drove him for a game-tying field goal. And with under a minute to go, he had a huge uh, scramble for a first down and had a huge completion to Terry McLaurin for field goal range for the game-winning field goal. I was becoming, most of you know this, I had changed my mind on Dwayne. Not that I thought he was going to be great. I had changed my mind that he wasn't worth draft. I, 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 I didn't like him at all coming out of college as a prospect in the NFL. And then after seeing him play games, what I wanted to see was more of Dwayne because he had a swag to him. He was fearless. He thought he belonged. That's a big part of it at that level. You could tell he believed in himself. He had the physical attributes for sure. And there were just moments like that game in the final two games that he played in in 2019. He played six quarters of football against the Eagles and the Giants at the end of 2019, where he went 31 of 43 for 394 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, and had played really, really well. Remember, he got taken out uh, second half against the Giants after he asked Dan he asked Dan, or Dan called down and said, you don't have to play the second half. Remember, that was a bit of a, a, a controversy. But after those uh, final six quarters, I wanted to see him start every single game in 2020 with the new coaching staff. Um, he started four, and he got benched, demoted to third string, and we know the rest of the story. Got cut later on that year. Uh, anyway, uh, two more things before we get to Zabe and to Scott. Uh, Adam Schefter's tweeting out of the story, which um, infuriated a lot of people um, and had people calling for Adam Schefter's job uh, all weekend long, uh, had many people more focused on Adam Schefter's initial tweet than on Dwayne Haskins' death, um, and also Gil Brandt's reaction on Sirius XM's NFL radio show when he was presented with the news that Dwayne had died. I'll start with that one. Gil Brandt, for those of you who don't know, is a 90-year-old Hall of Fame former NFL general manager for the Cowboys for many years. One of the real innovative general managers of his time. Um, and I've mentioned in recent years, I think he's a great follow on Twitter. I think he's got sharp NFL takes. 
Um, and Tommy and I often reference the Gil Brandt top 20 lists. The NFL.com has Gil Brandt's top 20 greatest receivers, top 20 greatest quarterbacks. He, he creates these lists. And Gil Brandt's opinion of NFL players and teams, I think, is a sharp one. But uh, this was not um, a great moment for this 90-year-old man who I think is still lucid and with it. You know, sometimes that can certainly be the excuse. I don't think that's the excuse uh, for Gil Brandt on Saturday when he reacted to the news of Dwayne Haskins' death by saying, quote, he was a guy that was living to be dead, closed quote. It was always something with Haskins, Brandt said, you know, invited to the draft party, but instead holding his own party and charging people $50 a head to get in. And then there was this from Gil Brandt as he continued to go on about his reaction to Dwayne Haskins' death on Saturday morning. He was told not to stay. He was told to stay in school and not to come out that he wasn't ready to play in the NFL. Maybe if he had stayed in school a year, he wouldn't do silly things like jogging on a highway, closed quote. If you've listened to this, there's also a tone to Gil Brandt um, that is kind of edgy, like I told you guys that this was not a guy that should have been drafted and was ready to play in the NFL. <laughs> okay, great. You don't talk about that moments after you get the news that this man just died. Again, I know he's 90, and if he is on the decline, major decline, he shouldn't have been on radio to begin with. Um, but I don't think he is. Uh, but the bottom line is, on the insensitivity meter, that's a 9.5 or 10 out of 10. You know, I'm not going to call for his job. I think XM Sirius can handle that. But as Tony would say, this is a gots-to-go situation. And I kind of agree with that. That was my reaction after listening to that. Now we move to Adam Schefter. Adam Schefter, when uh, Adam Schefter was the first to break the news on Saturday morning with this initial tweet, quote, Dwayne Haskins, a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL, died this morning when he got hit by a car in South Florida per his agent, Cedric Saunders. Haskins would have turned 25 years old on May 3rd, closed quote. That was the tweet. It's the tweet I think I read when we were recording the podcast on Saturday. He replaced it with the following tweet. Dwayne Haskins, a standout at Ohio State before becoming Washington's first-round pick and playing in Pittsburgh, died this morning when he got hit by a car in South Florida, yada, yada, yada. Well, as it turns out, it was, he wasn't hit by a car. He was hit by a dump truck. But that's not what incensed many of you out there. And this was very much a, a mixed response on the Adam Schefter situation. I think the Gil Brandt situation, I think we can probably – we're probably all in agreement. Um, so people – I need to explain this because not everybody, uh, you know, feels the same way or reacts the same way. Some people are super sensitive and some people aren't. Um, and this is a very subjective response to the Adam Schefter initial tweet. Some people like me, when I first read it, I, I, it didn't even occur to me that there was something insensitive in the tweet. After thinking about it a little bit and seeing it blow up on social media, my reaction was, yeah, the, the, what he wrote, part of what he wrote could have been left out of there. But many people uh, still 
didn't or don't know what it was that Adam Schefter tweeted out initially, even if they've read it, that that incensed and and horrified so many people. Well, it's the line where he says Dwayne Haskins is a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL. That is a line that many people thought was over the top insensitive. For me, uh, that's a three out of 10 on the insensitive meter. And for those people that have called for his job and called for him to be fired or suspended, I think that's utterly ridiculous. It's not because I'm a friend of Adam Schefter's. I'm not a friend of Adam Schefter. Adam Schefter and, he came on our show for six and a half years. We paid him to come on the show, and I enjoyed him on the show, and he was great. But Adam Schefter is not a friend of mine. Adam Schefter actually won't even come on the show anymore because the station stopped paying him. And he said, well, I just don't go on uh, you know, shows where people were paying me and then stopped paying me. And I, I said to him, this was like six months ago, I said, are you serious? You won't come on my show like if there's a Washington-related story once a year or twice a year? Nah, I love you, but you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm sharing that with you just so you understand. I'm not sitting here defending Adam Schefter because he's my friend, because that's not true. I, I enjoyed the, the six and a half years of Adam coming on the show. But for me... This is just me. Three out of 10. Maybe not even a three out of 10, but I'll go with three out of 10. And I had to think about it because it didn't even occur to me to begin with. I would not have written it the way he wrote it, but he's in the business of being first. That's what he's getting paid now. $9 million a year is to be right and to be first, to beat Rappaport and all the other people. There's nothing in that tweet that says to me, that he was ill-intentioned in trying to, you know, criticize Dwayne Haskins professionally. It was him writing quickly and, by the way, writing factually that he struggled, has struggled to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL, but he was a standout at Ohio State. Now, would I have written it that way? Probably not, but I would have needed some time to think about how I would have written it. Uh, did he replace it with something that was you know, less insensitive, he did. You know, he realized that that probably didn't need to be in there, not in that moment. But fire him? I mean, people on Twitter just unbelievably triggered by this one verb, this one phrase. Fire Adam Schefter? Suspend Adam Schefter for this? Adam Schefter demanding, lecturing on him, uh, providing an apology? No, I'm not, I'm not with you on that. Um, again, did it need to be in there? No, it didn't need to be in there. Uh, would it have been better if his initial tweet had been his second tweet? Of course. But I know that people in that business where they're racing to be first, and you may have a problem with that in general, but that's the business, okay? That's, there is a business around what Adam Schefter does. He gets paid $9 million to do what he's doing. Okay, to get stories, to be a, to be an information provider for this country's most popular product, the NFL. I'm not calling those of you that were so triggered and so horrified by it. I'm not going to call you names and call you overly sensitive or a snowflake or anything like that. I, you're entitled to feel the way you, you felt. I mean, it's a very subjective thing. I'm just telling you how I felt. And I felt like it, the Twitter got a little bit out of control with a lot of people out there offended beyond, to me, what was reasonable in many ways, kind of a self-serving way. But that's it. That's all I have on that. Gil Brandt, yeah, uh, that's, that's a nine and a half or a 10 out of 10, no doubt.
Okay. That is. Uh, the nine and a half would be if we found out after the fact that he's really not able to process information or express it because he's 90 years old. Adam Schefter, no. Adam Schefter is that it's apples and oranges. Adam Schefter didn't say Dwayne Haskins a standout at Ohio State before bombing in the NFL with Washington and Pittsburgh. He wrote before struggling to catch on. Three out of ten for me. It's just how I feel. You're entitled to feel any way you want to feel. Uh, up next, Steve Zabin and then Scott Van Pelt after that, uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Steve Zabin joins us on the show uh, right now. Scott Van Pelt coming up next. Uh, I know Zabe wants to talk golf, but the reason I reached out to you yesterday to see if you would come on the podcast is, I mean, for me, and I think a lot of people um, in this city, um, this would be one of those days that would have been for your show, whether it was with Andy or with Scotland or Galdi or, or Cooley or anybody, it would have been one of those days to find out your reaction to what was just, you know, stunning and very sad news, tragic news about Dwayne Haskins' uh, you know, sudden passing on Saturday morning. So that's why I reached out to you. So what would you have done on the show today? How would you have handled it? Well, I mean, it's uh it's a fascinating, multi-layered and ultimately extremely tragic story. My first thought was, my god, maybe this franchise is cursed. First thought because, you know, we've just had too much of this kind of stuff. But that said, I need to know more about the circumstances 
of what happened, you know, because it's just it's not adding up right now. So what are you curious about as far as that's concerned? Because I I said the same thing in the open to this show. There's a lot that we don't know, and I am naturally curious to find out, even if they are kind of morbid details. But I just think that there's a lot that was reported on that, that, you know, that there's probably a lot more to come. Nobody deserves to die at age 25 because they are being dumb or made a mistake. But I am curious to know, was his car broken down and he had flares out and was trying to repair the flat and then a dump truck came over and swerved into his lane? Or was he kicked out of someone's car while drinking late at night and then just decided to run across the road, the highway, and got killed? Again, it doesn't change the fact that it's a horrible tragedy. Nobody deserves to die but it gives you some background coloring in of the circumstances in the case. Dwayne was very well-liked, if not loved, by many guys. Right. However, the fact of the matter from a football standpoint, as you and I know, is he did not take the league seriously enough. He did not apply himself to the levels of his talents. Now, again, in the tender moments after a guy has died, is that appropriate to say on a big public platform? No, of course not. Uh, but we are living in a sensitivity age where if anyone has the opportunity to dunk on somebody for being insensitive, especially on social media, they will do it. It's very sad. I don't know what happened, but it sucks. It sucks for him and his family and everything else. But it's, you know, the, the, the ballad of Dwayne Haskins as a redskin slash, well, he was a wolfed briefly, right? For one year, <laughs> I guess the way you say it, yeah, he was a Washington football yeah. team player in 2020. The Ballad for... <laughs> of Haskins has a lot of very, you know, morbidly fascinating tentacles. The fact that Dan decided to pull his power and say we're taking him, even though, as you know, Gruden wanted no part of it. How much did that play into how he approached being here and approached his profession? You can't say like Gil Brandt said. If you'd stayed in Ohio State for another year, maybe you wouldn't be doing silly things like jogging on the highway. That's that's completely callous, way too much of a reach. You can't add those up and say, if this, then that. Life doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, the Gil Brandt reaction, I use the exact same word. It was callous. It was insensitive. It was a 90-year-old man in, in a spot and – which I don't even know if you can blame him being 90 because Gil Brandt's been one of the better Twitter follows in the last for a few years if you're a longtime football fan like me, but that was completely out of order. But, you know, when you said this is a multi-layered thing and it would be handled in a multi-layered way, I agree. Um, and part of that, you know, uh, uh, one of those layers is the reaction that people had to Adam Schefter's or- original oh. tweet. Yeah. So, so go ahead. I mean, I, I've already talked a little bit about it well, in the open to the show, but um, what was your reaction to him, you know, using the word struggling, you know, in Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL, then taking it down and putting a, a new tweet up? Yeah. It was a 2 out of 10 on the overall insensitivity scale, <laughs> a 2. Yes. But we are living in an age where if you can dunk on somebody, and there's a lot of players, a lot of players that came out on Schefter. And I said today on my show, you know the one reason that binds them all, well, not all of them, but most of them together is? They hate 
Schefter because he makes more money than they do. That's what's crazy. He's making more money than half the league. And what for what? To give out scoops from agents that they want out there? I mean, come on. But on a scale of 1 to 10, it was about a 2. Yeah, he said struggle. Oh, okay, well, what are you supposed to say? If he had said Dwayne Haskins, a five-time All-Pro, was killed in a car accident, well, that also is irrelevant to the tragedy at hand. His success is irrelevant. His struggling is irrelevant. But it's reporting. It's context. I think you put it because many people have forgotten about Dwayne Haskins. The casual football fan doesn't necessarily remember who he was. You know, we do. Steeler fans do, but a lot of fans don't. I swear to all of you listening that this is the first time that Zabin and I have talked about this. We didn't text about it. We have not talked about it. Um, but yes, uh, on my insensitivity scale, I rated it a three out of 10, not a two out of 10, but I am fine with the two out of 10. Um, but in the open to this, to this show today, I just, and you know, I took some heat this morning for, for talking about it in, in a similar way on radio. I, you know, it's one of those things where Schefter is paid to be first. He's not, it's not his responsibility to write the eulogy uh, for, for, for Dwayne Haskins. To your point, there are people that are finding out about this that don't know a lot about Dwayne Haskins. He took it down. He put a tweet that was probably more appropriate and was zero out of 10 on the insensitivity scale. Uh, but I just, it, it made me, Zabe, for a period of time yesterday in particular, want to just completely log out of Twitter for good. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's okay to say, you know, he didn't need to add that he was struggling in the NFL. That's not necessarily relevant to the story. To call outright for his firing or his suspension and to act as if you were triggered to the level of of him saying, like, there are verbs he could have used, like he bombed in the NFL, you know, playing for Washington and Pittsburgh, which also wouldn't have been totally inaccurate. Now, that would have been, you know, that would have been a 7 or an 8 out of 10 on the insensitivity scale in the moment but struggled yeah Yeah, i don't i i completely missed it the first time i read it well this is the age we're living in we're living in an age of faux sensitivity faux sensitivity because it being sensitive and showing that you are is a social capital that people are seeking and a social credibility that they're seeking to to acquire uh via these stupid things that we look at all day, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and whatnot, so it doesn't surprise me. You could have said Dwayne Haskins, a player who once said the league, quote, done messed up, walked into traffic on Highway I-595 and was hit by a dump truck and died. He was 24. You can do that. That'd be way more expensive. You can say Dwayne Haskins, a guy who was cut by the Washington Redskins, after hiring strippers for his birthday party in the middle of a pandemic, was struck and killed today on the side of the road in Florida. That would have been far more insensitive. Or about the selfies on the sideline 
while he had to be yelled at by the coaches, hey, go in and take a couple of knees. Actually, he didn't take the knees, right? Didn't his back? No, 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 no. Case Keenum had to go in and take the knees. He was taking selfies. Yeah. Which, by the way, right. I'm going to tell you, in right. the moment, I let him off the hook, and Tommy was so angry with me. But I said, you know, it's his yeah. first win. He's young. He's excited. He thought the game was over. He'll learn from it, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, getting it in life, getting it, Kevin, as you know, and by it, I mean whatever it it is, your job, marriage, your situation, whatever, like it's a hard thing. We all struggle with, am I getting this right? Is this, do I understand what's going on here? Getting it in the NFL is a hard thing. It eludes a lot of people. He didn't get it as a player while he was here. I think he was making strides to get it right. with the Steelers. And the tragic thing is, no one's ever going to know if he was able to get it. Some of the Taylor didn't get it. So, hey, you can't live in a way that exposes yourself to these kind of vectors of potential mischief. The fact he let parties happen in his house where he would have his girlfriend and his child's mother stay with him on that fateful night. He was already a big enough star, and he had enough money that this wasn't just, you know, like living as a a 20-year-old. Doesn't mean he deserved to lose his life. It just was a consequence, that's all. Yeah. Um, The way you described, you know, they could have said, um, you know, that he, uh, you know, went to a party, held a party with strippers during a pandemic. All of those things would have been registering as a 10 on the insensitivity scale. And that's not something that I don't think would have ever, you know, entered, you know, Adam Schefter's mind. And I think, you know, we're in this world where like, there's no consideration given to what the intent is. Look, if, if you're, if you didn't intend to uh, kill somebody and you got charged for manslaughter, sorry, but you know, that there are consequences to, you know, lesser intentions, but not in a tweet trying to report someone's passing, tragic passing, and using a verb um, to describe uh, his NFL career after he said he was a standout at Ohio State. I guess, I don't know. I Everybody is certainly fee- free to feel the way they want to feel, but you made a point that I wanted to just emphasize, and I talked a little bit about it in the open, maybe not enough, and that is I just saw too many people that we're treating this as a very self-serving experience, experience for them. They don't, they don't know Dwayne. They don't know anything about him. If his family, if people who were super close were upset about Adam Schefter's tweet, they have the right to be, okay? Calling for his firing or his, or his suspension um, is, you know, an emotional response from somebody who may have been emotionally, you know, uh, affected by this. But the people that were lecturing and they don't know him and then, it was it was just grotesquely self-serving, I thought, for much of the weekend. And I don't want to say that about some of the players that tweeted out stuff, because those players do know him, but there was a lot of lecturing going on on a guy that just made a mistake and corrected it. What do they want from him? Like, Gil Brandt, I totally get. And Gil Brandt apologized. And, of course, it's like he apologized, and then the apology wasn't received as sincere from all the people no. demanding an apology. So he can't win, but he'll never, he'll never be on radio again, and, and, and maybe he shouldn't be um, after what, you know, what happened on Saturday. I, I listened to the Gilbrandt audio, 
and I thought there was a lot of humanity in the Gilbrand, you know, dialogue of two minutes and thereabouts. It's just that his salvo of a soundbite of this is a guy who was living to be dead right. was too sharp, too out of bounds, and so it negated what I thought was genuine empathy and humanity that was mixed in, and that's the world we live in. I also think Gil Brandt extrapolated details of the event. Of that course, are not the jogging, yet. right, yeah. Right, he says jogging on the side of the highway. He All he heard was that he was down there in South Florida training with other teammates and other players and killed on the side of the road, so he thought, oh, he must have been training on the side of a highway. That's not yet been proven to be the case. We don't know if it'll ever be the case. But he just, in the heat of the moment, he put the two and two together. The other thing was his co-host made a mistake by saying, oh, wow, this news is just breaking, you know. Talk to me about this. And also, you know, as a player, since you scouted him, that's when Gil Brandt should have said, I'm not going to talk about him as a player. It doesn't matter today. Maybe tomorrow, maybe Monday, but not right now. He didn't have the wherewithal, being his age, to say that. And it was something he should have just avoided entirely. So, you know, keeping in the theme of of multi-layers off of a story like this, which is so tragic, and the primary layer is that a 24-year-old young person is no longer with us and 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 trust uh uh me um and i think i can speak for zabe that is not being overshadowed here we i spent you know all morning long and perhaps you did as well but i thought um i i feel differently about the gil brand interview i think that there was a tone and an edge to gil brand's words that were very attacking um and that sort of had a sloppy professional career and must have been living a sloppy life that led to a dark outcome. And this was right? a guy that clearly was not a fan of him coming out. You know, as, as a Hall of Fame general manager, he talked about, you know, the bowling alley, $40 a head, you know, charging for draft night. And this was, you know, all of the red flags on Dwayne bothered Brant from the beginning. And this was, I think, very much a part of his tone, which was the wrong tone to take upon hearing that someone had just been tragically killed. But I wanted to go to this other lair. Because I think it's interesting, and I haven't talked about this, but you're the perfect person to talk to about this. What did you think about the co-host with Gil Brandt? What do you think his role was to either A, protect Gil Brandt, B, respond to Gil Brandt, C, try to smooth things over? I don't know. What was, what was his role there? Because he did nothing but essentially throw it to a break when Gil Brandt got done. Well, I think once you once you do once you enter into Tom Brenneman category of, and there's a drive by Castellanos, and you're trying to patch this up, right? It's too late at that point. I mean, like I said, if if you're the host, you probably don't lead him down the road of let's recap how he measured up scouting wise to what people expected of him as a football player. He's dead. His family is devastated. Now is not the time, but they're on serious XM NFL radio, and that's what they do. So they got caught up in the bubble of, well, this is what we do. Player X dies. Uh, how was his career? And forgetting the moment of, we got to let this thing sit for a little while. So, yeah, the host did him no favors. 
the host is probably pretty old himself. He sounded pretty old. Andy said he knew him, so that means he must have been old. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could mean that Andy just met him as a young intern, and he's not as old as we think he is. But um, no, it, he sounded he sounded old. Here's the kind of thing I've done this before. Oh, <laughs> I've done this before as a host. I have said, like, as we're riffing, running along 100 miles an hour, doing what we do in live radio something comes out sideways or a little bit weird, I will hit the talk back and I will scream to the producer, dump, 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 dump. And they'll dump it just if I don't feel good about it. Almost like, you know, if you're ever on a, 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 a commercial flight in which you're about to land and the pilot does a, a fly around. Yeah. That's always the game. Heart rate pumping, right? You, you've had one of those, right? <laughs> Several, yes. Yeah. I've had I've, I mean, had, I've it, had the one where where we landed and then immediately went back up because something was on the runway. That was terrifying. Totally. Yeah, exactly. So I've done that before in radio where I'm like, it's just not worth it. Um, but you know, we live like we wouldn't know the opinions of all these NFL players on Adam Schefter's tweet if. Social media didn't exist. You would have to go find a player. You'd have to go interview him. Then you would have to publish his comments about it, if not in a newspaper, on a blog. And somebody would have to go find the blog and read the blog. And ain't nobody got time for that. Social media has crammed us all together in one tiny phone booth that is our phones. We're too connected. We're too sensitive. People are too quick to try to show how morally superior they are and it's it's not a good situation and that's not a defense of what that said can i just for a second ask you to ask van pelt one question yes about scotty shepherd it's going to be it's going to be too late because i've already i've already i had to record that much earlier this morning before i started the podcast yeah but but i bet he answered it anyway Okay, what I don't know about Scheffler is this. Is he the truth? Yes. Is he the truth, or is he just another hot guy like Brooks Kepka, or like DeShambo, or like Speed? That's, there you go. Or like... <laughs> yes, we talked about that. I, I asked him. And? I, well, let me just... So, what I asked him was... Uh, you know, I feel like we've been here recently before with Spieth, when Spieth was going to chase down Tiger. It's all in the frame of, you know, Tiger in the, you know, in the distance of, oh, is this going to be the guy now that Spieth's won so much so quickly? Um, you know, is is DeChambeau going to be the guy? And and I said to him, I go, you know, with Spieth, there were a lot of people that pushed back and said he doesn't hit it far enough. You know, with DeChambeau, there were yeah. some questions about how he got to where he got to, obviously. And I I said, you know, and Scott just said, look, everybody's going to do the same thing because it's the world we live in. He's won four times in 57 in, in less than two months. Um, and right. he's he did say that he's an older 25, not just physically looking older 25, but there's a serious a seriousness to him. Um, but. He also talked about the fact that he doesn't have the the perfect swing. I mean, you know this. I mean, it's Ooh. not like the most natural or most beautiful or most, you know, but but that he, you know, and, and he's not the, you know, but, but he is a good ball striker. But 
you know, you, for for now, you got to take him seriously. But I, 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 I'd have to, I got to almost go back and listen. I think he kind of said, it, it, "Look, we, 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 you're right. We keep saying this. Time will tell." But he is a more serious twenty five year old than most out there. Yeah, he's. Uh, well, what he do is, you think? What do you story. think? Because you're I, you're just I, as much of a, a fan and and an, and a golf expert as Scott is. I'll give you I'll give you the entire book of Scheffler from <clears throat> my perspective, fan of literally six months. Ready? Mm-hmm. He gets named to the Ryder Cup team. I had not really heard of him. I told my golf nerd buddies, I'm like Scheffler. He hasn't won anything. Well, yet. you knew him from Harding like, Park. You knew him from Harding Park when Morikawa won. That's when I, re- I. That's the first time I ever heard his name. Well, that's yeah. He finished. Was it second or fourth? Yeah, and he was in, wasn't he in the final group with him. But go ahead. Okay, so yeah, I, I said he hasn't won anything yet. I said, come on, you're putting him on the Ryder Cup team, and and a couple of my golf nerd buddies are like, no, this dude is legit. He's gonna be huge, and I go. Call me when he wins. <laughs> 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 so many times my phone won't stop ringing. Right. So, watching him closely this time, and I didn't watch him closely at Phoenix when he won, didn't watch him closely at the match play, but watching him around Augusta, I was like struck by two things. One was his short game is a goddamn cheat code, Kevin. It's ridiculous. He's the kind of guy, if you're playing in a match at your club, you're saying to yourself, you're muttering, God, this guy doesn't miss. Like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, ridiculous. So, short game is absurd. The foot movement is weird, and he does a lot of manipulating, slinging with his hands. Okay, whatever. But the other thing is this. The guy's junior record, I didn't know he had won yeah. 90 out of 60 yeah. tournaments. Yeah, he's a badass he competitor. You, like, seriously. Stone cold winner, killer, yeah. and I think he's got he's very well grounded, very religious. Uh, you know, married already at a young age, big solid family, sort of a, a touch of Texas dumb, which is a good thing to have as an athlete, especially <laughs> in the game of golf. I'm thinking he might be more than just the latest flavor. There, that's my summation. All right. Well, that's interesting because I, I literally, as I'm watching this, my middle son was was with me this weekend, and he's you know just he's watching every single shot featured groups of Tiger from Thursday through yesterday morning. Like I, I, I yesterday morning, he's like, I've got Tiger up on the featured groups. I'm like. He's not going to win. He's like, who knows? Maybe he can shoot 59. And by the way, Rory should have shot 62 or 61. Um, but, but um, you know, and I watched a lot of Tiger this weekend. I, what I was going to say to you is that, you know, and people are going to hear it coming up next. Scott, uh, I had recorded earlier. But, you know, um, I, I said I want to start with the number one story of the weekend. And I said, let's talk about Tiger. And Scott immediately says to me, and you guys all hear this coming up in, in, in a few minutes, well, that wasn't the number one story. And I said, well, well, of course it was. 
No, it wasn't. Scotty Scheffler winning it for the fourth time in whatever is the number one story. And I said, I said no. Hey, I'm paraphrasing here. I forget how the beginning of our conversation went, but it was a little bit argumentative. But in in the way we always argue, nobody nobody's feelings are ever hurt. Sure. But uh, but Tiger right. Tiger was the reason people were watching in in incredible numbers this weekend. So I would ask you, what did you make of Tiger this weekend, and what do you think is next? I think it's impressive. I think it's also defies logic. Nobody wants to talk about the PED issue with athletes, any athletes in any sport. There's no way a 46-year-old man... By the way, Tiger's the same age as Nicholas was when he won in 86. Yeah, I know. Does, does Tiger move in a way that Nicholas at 46 and that yellow sculpture <laughs> moved? No. Jack was an old-ass man. Jack was your dad. Tiger is only your dad when he takes that hat off and you see his giant moon roof, right. which is unfortunate. He's <laughs> well, got to figure that out. Yeah, well, you would, you, we both can identify. There is, to me, I, and this is a Gaudiism I'm going to throw at you. So what you're telling me is that a 46-year-old guy with five knee surgeries on his left knee, with a fused spine, with rods in his right leg, can still generate 170-mile-an-hour ball speed with his driver, which is in the elite category on tour for all players, not just guys above 30 or 40. And that skinless chicken and high rep, as Gauley would like to say, (laughs) I'm a little dubious of that. Now, I know Tiger's a freak, he's a maniac, and he trained to be a Navy SEAL, even though that was a completely delusional dream he had. So I get it. But that doesn't quite add up to me. Wait, that wait, says, d- wait, DeChambeau dubious? Oh, DeChambeau could definitely be on some stuff as well. But is that what you're saying? That, that's, why you're, that, that's why you're skeptical. Well, here's the thing. There's other 46-year-olds out there on tour right. who are healthy, don't have all that, who can't generate that much clubhead speed anymore. Yeah. Okay. Tiger is. Yeah, no. Tiger is the longest 46-year-old on the planet. So, but that's a separate tangent. That's an offshoot. There's two other things about Tiger. One is, I'm assuming his recovery from his leg injury can still get better, which is great news for those that want to see him play and compete. So I don't think he stopped his recovery. And then... His game, if he can play a bit more, will get sharper and sharper, and he could definitely contend at Augusta for at least a couple more years, assuming he can still play four to five events per season or per year. So there's that, which is great. The net-net, the top-line thing about Tiger is this. He's the best human version of himself he's ever been. The smile he had as he marched off to a hero's ovation after finishing 46th or whatever, through the throngs of the gallery and the patrons, was the most genuine, soulful, I'm really happy in life. I am grateful in this moment to be here doing this. And then to be with his family and his new girlfriend, who is not a looker. She's not a supermodel. (laughs) Right. She's not. A nice, sweet, middle-of-the-road restaurant manager, who has Tiger's heart and vice versa, and his kids who are growing up. And it was a wonderful thing. And he was yeah. a real person. He 
chatted with John Rahm the entire round. People were saying, wow, I've never seen Tiger chat this much. He's the best person that he has been. It's about the fifth or sixth version. It's Tiger 6.0. I'm happy for him in that regard. Yeah, Scott kind of alluded to the same thing, that what you saw as he walked off 18 was this satisfaction that you would have never seen after back-to-back rounds of 78 um, previously. Um all right, uh, I, I do. There was one other thing about the Masters that I was not going to get into with Scott, but I want to talk to you about. I think I texted you. I think I did text you about this. I was just, I, I was beside myself on the CBS coverage yesterday multiple times, but it started with, you know, here's Rory clearly making a move. I mean, having an incredible run. He shot 32 on the front. It could have been better, but we didn't, we get to the back nine and he's really the only one now that might post a super low number. And I, I think I texted you and another friend of mine. I think I texted Scott too. I'm like, why have we only seen, we're missing like a third to half of Rory shots, even on tape. I, I thought CBS did a – I thought they were off. I thought Amanda not asking Tiger the question that we all wanted to know, which is what are you doing next? Are you going to play, especially when he gave her the opening um, by saying, you know, we've got some work to do. There was so much to the broadcast. What did you think? Sorry, go ahead. All right. First of all, I believe it's still Lance Barrow that directs their broadcast, the Masters. Okay. Lance Barrow – junior guy to Frank Tricanian, the legendary legend. Yes. Yes. So I, I think it's Lance Barrow. If it's not, let me know. I don't know who's going to check it right now. Maybe you can while I'm talking. So here's what Lance Barrow and CBS does, and this is a feature of American golf television coverage. They lock in on the theater of the leaders on Sunday, stalking their prey, which is a green jacket and stalking every putt and lining stuff up, and they hone in on that. And there's a lot of validity from a broadcast standpoint to do that. However, it insults the viewer to imply, well, instead of taking you up to 18 to see what Rory does out of this bunker as he's got a super low round going, we're going to keep you focused down here on Cam Smith and his mullet because he's, he's circling you know, a 10-footer for birdie, and this is the main narrative. That's what they do. They figure, you know what? He's in the bunker. He's not going to do anything. Let's not go up there. European broadcast, uh, European tour broadcasts are way more shot, 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 shot. They trust that the viewer can handle being given a lot of shots. That's not how CBS does it. Not how most American networks do it. And they got they got their ass in a pinch because. Not just one amazing thing happened, but two amazing things happened. And then Faldo, that dip squat, oh, he, says, gave, I don't wanna he told it. us. I don't want to ruin it. You just did. <laughs> I mean, come on now. So that was bad. And, and I think that CBS, from, a, from that standpoint, following what the tournament should have been, was not great. But here's another thing that I noticed they did. So you notice how as the, the tournament came down the stretch, all of the wonderful wide-angle shot tracer views of drives, which every golfer loves because you can see where the ball is going. Right. They went from those. Why? And I believe... I, I noticed it, too. I well, noticed it all because, week. Well, because I believe CBS and Barrow, and maybe at the urging of the club, believes in a more filmmaker's aesthetic of 
let's use a tight angle of the golfer's face hitting. As long as we have a camera in the fairway to show where it lands, we're good. And the shot tracer is a video game type of concept that is not worthy of the cinematic finish of a tradition unlike any other. I firmly believe that's the sort of the, the aesthetic they go for down the stretch because there's no reason not to use Shot Tracer all day, every day when it comes to golf broadcasts, but they go for something a little bit different. That said, some of the drone shots were absolutely magnificent. That said, I think Nance was at his best, but there was unfortunate gas. Faldo, I think, has jumped the shark. Dottie Pepper saying that uh, Scheffler was laying up with a nine iron, and then he rips the four iron, 220 around a tree to the green. Not great. Missing those shots of Rory holding out, not great. So it was a mixed bag. And now on the Balionis thing, here's my theory. Balionis cannot be so, I don't want to say close. She cannot, she cannot understand, she can't not understand the only question anyone wants to know about Tiger is, so when are we going to see him next? It was a great date. This was a great first date with Tiger. I had all the butterflies. It was, I'm on, I'm on cloud nine. Can we do this again? When are we going to see you next? It's the obvious question. She's got producers that could have said, hey, make sure to follow up with. Right. When are we going to She didn't. Who got it? Kara Robinson, Golf Channel, working for Sky News, two minutes later. Now, I believe, my theory is, Tiger told Balionis, or Ms. Renner now, look, I know you're going to want to ask me about where I'm playing, but I promised Kara I'd give that to her because she's been good to me and she needs it right now. So I, don't, I don't. That, that, I don't. Did somebody say that that's what happened? I don't believe. I don't believe that. No. You, no okay. My only plausible. that's not plausible. That's true, it, well, if that's not true, then Amanda Balionis slash Renner is out over her skis, in over her head, and should not have that position. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I've ever had an issue with her in the past. I don't know. I don't watch every single post-match interview. I watch a lot of golf, not just non-major golf. And and CBS doesn't have all of it. Her vibe is super fangirlish. And look. And she's pleasant. She's pleasant. She's smart enough. She's pretty good on TV. Here's the thing. She's not a journalist. Though. That's the thing. She's not meant to break stories. She's there to put quarters into the into the jukebox of the players saying what would sound good. Like, how did you feel to be out there after the car crash that almost took your life? Quarter in the jukebox, Tiger says his feel. Follow-up question, boom, done. She's a presenter. She is part of the cast of CBS's presentation. She's not there to break news. But in this moment, it's a big whiff. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's it's the only thing anybody wanted to know at that moment. When are you playing next? What's your schedule? Who are you gonna are you gonna play the PGA at Southern Hills in May or not? I mean, that's that's what everybody. Yeah, I, you don't have to be a journalist to to, to know that. To, I know. Yeah. So you think so? You think she just came locked in with two questions and whiffed? Yeah, I don't. I don't think Tiger. I mean. 
it, it, Tiger's Tiger, but but it's CBS. They're the main broadcaster of this incredible event and have been for years. I don't see Tiger telling them, I'm going to give this information to the Golf Channel. Don't ask me about it. And by the way, if he did, I don't think I'd pay attention to him anyway because <laughs> um, I know what we pay at, at CBS for the Golf cha- uh, for, for this tournament, uh, and the Golf Channel doesn't pay anywhere near that amount. So this is what everybody wants I to know. know. And, I, and, and by the way, I don't blame her for you know perhaps having a, a brain lock and not in not thinking of it everybody makes those mistakes as an interviewer journalist or sports talk radio host but you've got to be as a producer before you got to say to her look this is the most important thing but you we got to find out what you know how did you know, how's he feeling after these you know after these 72 holes um what did he you know uh, where did he go wrong today all right, Tiger, let's talk about, you know, where you are, how you're feeling, and what's next. Because, you know, this was so exciting. You made the cut. What, what, what is your, what's your schedule going to be? The producer has to do that. And, by the way, he gave her an opening by saying we've got some work to do. So um, forward to it, and immediately yeah. all my went up, and then she just walked right by it. My question would have been simple. It would have been, Tiger, I got to be honest. It was really exciting for everyone here and on TV to watch you play again. Can your knee? Can your foot? Can your leg get better? And when are we going to see you next? Yeah. Oh, Mike in face. Short and sweet. That's the nut of it, right there. But I don't know. TV is a weird beast. Uh, maybe there'll be an explanation. But hey, we found out shortly afterwards. Yeah. From a different outlet. Going to play at St Andrews, and I think he could well be a factor there. It's very flat. It's very walkable. It requires a lot of knowledge of how to play the course in different conditions. I would not discount Tiger at uh, at the Open. Well, I, t- I told Scott in the interview that's coming up that we've now basically told you half of what's in it. <laughs> um, that uh, that I would be I I am absolutely expecting him at the PGA at Southern Hills. I, I unless the unless physically something happened here and there was a setback. If there wasn't a setback physically. I'd be shocked if he's not playing the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. And I know it's not an easy course to walk, but he just walked the most difficult of all of the courses. Now, Muirfield, like, is he, is he going to play Jack's tournament in, in in Columbus and Dublin? Probably not this year. Maybe, you know, in, in coming years. That's also a very difficult course to walk. But I, I think he's going to play the PGA. And I bet you he plays the Open, well, too. Well, the U.S. Open's at Brookline. That is very up and down. I know, I heard. Um, yeah, I've I, never seen it. From Ryder Cup in 99, that place looked like a, a mountain goat place. Um, Southern Hills is interesting because it's in May now. Yep. The PGA, they put up the next one. And when he won there, it was a billion degrees because it was August in, you know, Oklahoma. It won't be as hot this time, which is good for most people, but may not be great for his leg. He may have to recover from this. It's going to take maybe more than a month to recover from what he put his leg through this week at Augusta. So I don't know about that. I also don't think he or any other pro puts the PGA Championship anything but fourth in the important major. Yeah, I I get that. But... It's, I don't know, what I saw was a guy, look, after Friday when he shot 74, and by the way, 74 was a pretty decent score Friday, but he really started to drive the ball well, 
uh, which I thought he did pretty much all weekend long, or certainly the final three rounds, in difficult conditions on on Friday, there was an edge to his post-match interview where he said, you know, tomorrow's about getting into contention, you know, and and, and being there for the back nine on Sunday, which, you know, at that point he was like nine shots behind Scheffler already. But but still, I just think that it's a – it's an addiction, you know, with a lot of these very narrowly focused, competitive, you know, everybody always says, well, every professional athlete's competitive. No, that's not true. Some are just extremely talented and they don't really like what they're doing. The, the hyper competitive levels of the Kobe's and the Jordans and the, and the Tigers, it, they live for this. It's, it's what, what allows them to breathe. So I don't, I think he can't wait to get back out there again after 278s. Some, yeah, some athletes like winning. Others hate losing. Yeah, there's a difference. There is. Uh, you can listen to Zabe's podcast, uh, Zabecast, anywhere you get a podcast. You can also listen to him to his morning show, which is a Milwaukee, Wisconsin morning show, the 97.3 uh, game uh, station up there. Um, appreciate it, as always. Let's do it again soon. Thanks. All right, man. All right, uh, always great um, to have Zabe on the podcast. Uh, All right, up next, you'll hear my interview with Scott Van Pelt, which we've told you a little bit about already, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, joining us on the podcast now is my good friend Scott Van Pelt, who did a great job on ESPN's coverage of the Masters uh, on Thursday and Friday and just got back from Augusta last night. Let's start with what was the biggest story of the weekend, and that was Tiger Woods. Uh, what did you make of the Tiger that's Woods that's weekend? Not the biggest story. I think it was. That's not the biggest story. I think no, it was. wasn't. No, it wasn't. The number one player in the world who's won three or five events showed up and won. That's the biggest story of the weekend. Do you think that that was the most uh, talked about story of the weekend by people who no, are of course go- not. golf fans? No, of course not. It, it, it's just, but just the the. the I mean, they're, they're, they're two different things. Okay, well, let me, rephr- and, let me rephrase then, because um, I want to start with Tiger Woods, because I think more people care about Tiger and Woods um, and how he played and what your reaction was to Tiger Woods' return to golf at Augusta than what was really impressive, which was Scotty Scheffler winning for the fourth time in 57 days. But we'll get to that in a moment. Let's start with Tiger. Okay. It was awesome to see him back there. And what's so interesting about it was how how well he played in that first day, which allowed you to really entertain 
silly things like, wait, what is this? Is this is this really a thing? I mean, is he here to maybe really throw his hat in the ring? That just doesn't seem reasonable. And then over the course of four days, it it wasn't. Uh, you saw, I think you saw this the the toll physically, um, and then the the fact that the weather was just Friday and Saturday was as difficult as you'll ever ever see it there. And in the end, he you know shoots a lot, but seventy eight, seventy eight. But what was something notable about that is he walks off the course with a gigantic smile on his face and says he's thankful after seventy eight, seventy eight. So that frames it for me that, that he knows exactly what this was, and it was it was a gigantic step. It was successful. He was back in the arena, and that's something that not even he knew or knew could happen not that long ago so it was it was amazing to see the way people reacted to him um certainly at augusta and, and i based on tv numbers it certainly seems like a lot of people out there were interested to watch um first of all how difficult i mean we're watching on tv you're there how difficult were those conditions on thursday on friday and saturday it was as cold saturday as i've ever felt it there and i've been there since 97 that was 25 years ago so i mean the only other time i can remember it being like that was the year zach johnson won where over the weekend it got so cold that people had on like the wool hats and whatnot but i mean it felt like a football saturday or sunday in the in the late fall early winter i mean it was in in the 50s and it's winds blowing and it's just not what it's like there Uh, and the wind on friday was was nuts i mean howling and that golf course is hard you got to be really precise when it's not windy. And so, you know, you've got howling wind. You can see on certain holes where the sand is just being whipped out of the bunkers. Um, and the scoring average spoke to that, that, that it was brutally difficult to do anything. And the fact that Scheffler on Friday was able to create that five-shot lead the way he played was significant. And as it turned out, I mean, that, that was the margin he was working with the rest of the way. What did Tiger do well, and what didn't he do well? Um, he he putted horribly, um, particularly on the weekend. He couldn't he couldn't make a putt. It was like thirty six putts, I think it was on Saturday. I might be off by a few, but not by many. Um, but it, the actual actual ball striking, hitting of greens, it, he swung it well with his driver. Um, yeah. Which, even when he was really good, wasn't always something he could trust. And it looked it looked like that was one thing he really trusted was he was you know swing, swinging with like freedom of uh, belief that he thought all right I can hit it down the middle. I mean mostly he did. Um, so that the, the, that was good. Short game was was mostly pretty good. He just didn't putt it well. Um, and I mean he had plenty of company. He was over par in the end. I think maybe what eight or nine guys finished under par. So. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty clear that you know physically they were, he was on E there by by the end, and you saw it was, it's difficult. Everyone has by now knows how hilly it is because it was certainly a point that was made over and over again this week. Um, I mean, you know, the guy's legs messed up, you know, really severely injured, and uh, this was his first his first opportunity to get some sort of feedback about. What, what he could do and you know we leave knowing he's going to play St. Andrews that the, the two opens in the middle excuse me the PGA Championship at Southern Hills and the U.S. Open in the middle we don't know uh, but
but he did say he plays St. Andrews. Yeah, I, I, I want to get to what's next in a moment. You sort of answered, uh, or you've answered most of it. But I thought that he drove it really well, too, and his, it looked like his swing speed. You know, they were – I was watching a lot of the featured group stuff um, with Colt Nost and, and that group uh, on Thursday and Friday when Tiger's round was out there, and it, it got better, and he really started to hit the driver well. I mean, I, I, I'm just wondering, like, if he walks away from this weekend thinking – I putted terribly, but that's something I've always done well, and it doesn't necessarily require, you know, a, a, a great leg um, ultimately to to improve the putting, and everything else seemed to work. Yeah, that, that's not unreasonable. Um, just look, he played well enough to make the cut, and there, there's a there's a there's a decent number of excellent players, including Brooks Kepka and you know Spieth, and uh, you know I, I could keep going. Other major champions who didn't. So uh, he he stuck around to play the weekend, which is which is a, a win undoubtedly, uh, given given where he was. And again, I, I just looked at it, a guy that was pissed off if he didn't win um, for most of his career, all of his career. And in this case, he shoots seventy eight, seventy eight, and that, that smile walking up that hill on eighteen was just yeah. so instructive to me about what about what he what he came there to do and, and what he appeared to do, in, in my opinion. So, I mean, um, you know, just he played. <laughs> and there's, you know, I, I wasn't trying to be combative off the top about what the big story was. A little we, bit you we were. Clearly made, well, but but that's because the, uh, the guy's number one in the world and he's won four tournaments. I understand just, that. 25. And just, I understand that's that. The biggest, the biggest story is who won the tournament. Well, so, uh, that's that's a debatable as to whether or not it was the biggest story. The biggest story during the entire weekend, and the reason the numbers were what they were, is because Tiger was playing. Of course, okay. Of course, I mean that, it was okay. There, there, it was okay there, for I, me to start with Tiger. It's your pod. You can do whatever you want. Well, I mean, you you can tell me that you think I'm completely off base. I think I, 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 I yeah, but you 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 debated me on the number one story. Fine. Um, let's just agree that Scotty Scheffler winning the tournament was the number one story. But it's okay in the conversation about the Masters this weekend on Monday to start with Tiger. You would agree with that? Undoubtedly, that okay. I'm I'm going to do 800 shows today, and I'm sure that's the first thing everyone's going to ask me about. So you said you you know, and he said he's going to play. Um, he's going to play St. Andrews uh, in July. Uh-huh. What do you think will happen between now and then? Just guess. I think he'll he, his body will have given him the feedback of what hurts and how his body reacted after rounds, and he'll hunker down with his group to figure out. All right, what do we do? What do I need to do physically? to create more strength in this leg to give me a chance to compete. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if there are other procedures. I don't mean surgical. I have no idea. I just mean, like, are there other medical sort of treatments that we can um, that we can avail ourselves of between now and July at the latest and or May at the soonest and figure out how to compete? Because at this point, I wouldn't expect to see him turning up at, you know, random tournament A, B, or C on the PGA Tour. I would expect it to be the big ones. And he said as much. I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you heard the sound uh, that we had from Alex Smith about how because it was this, uh, the same leg, right, the right leg, and right. how that's the trail leg when you throw, and that's the, tra- that's the back leg when you swing, that it allowed, if it had been his left leg, he couldn't have done it. And I found that really interesting to think about, um, that, that 
as bad as the injury was and how difficult it makes it to walk, that, that he's still going to be able to figure out some kind of way. And I think you saw that. You saw that, that it doesn't look the same. Um, but, I mean, there's some swings that you'd never know the difference just in terms of the freedom of the swing, and you see it pipe down the middle, and you go, well, look at that. <laughs> I mean, it's it really was it really was amazing. And from Monday when I got there a week ago and saw you know these enormous, uh, enormous crowds following him anywhere he went, um, through the, the the TV numbers and just the, the reception that he got on Sunday. It was it was obvious that people were craning their neck to get a look at the guy again. Yeah, and I I actually thought Thursday and Friday could have actually been a little bit better. Scoring-wise, I think, you know, the wind, you know, messed with a couple of very well-hit iron shots to greens where they caught the green and then rolled off. I mean, it, it was happening to everybody um, that day. So, you know, 74, 74 on Friday was a pretty good score on Friday um, when you compare it to the rest of the field. I mean, it was really amazing to see Friday and Saturday at that place. Um but I, I, I don't know. Part of me thinks, and you know so much better because you know him and you know what everybody's talking about, I just don't see any chance that he's going to miss the PGA. I think that's over a month from now, and I think when they tee it up at Southern Hills, and, and Sands told me last week that Southern Hills is another difficult place to walk, but there's no place more difficult than Augusta. But I just don't see any way, unless there's some sort of physical setback, that you know this week that he's not teeing it up, you know, for the PGA at, on May nineteenth. If I, anything I say would be a guess because I just truly have no idea. Uh, I, I I know St Andrews is his favorite course because he said it to me and he said it. I think he said it in his answer yesterday. I mean, he just yep. he uh, Augusta and St Andrews are the two for a lot of people, and as they are for him. And um, St Andrews is a is a, a flat links golf course, so. I, I, that's that's as walkable as they get. Um, I, I I understand what you're saying, but I think that the two, the, the two, if 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 he were going to pick two and said those are the only two you could play, it, it, it would have been the first one and the last one. And he figured out a way to to endure the first one. And it wouldn't shock me if he spent the time between now and then to figure out how to be ready to try to truly compete uh, in in the Open. So I don't know. We'll find out soon enough. I mean. The, the PGA Championships on ESPN, obviously, given the numbers, we'd, we'd be thrilled just from an eyeball standpoint if that were the case. If it's not, then, you know, we've got the Scheffler story to, uh, to to package and sell, right? Yeah, all right. So let's talk about Scheffler, who's won four times in 57 days, fastest to rise to number one without ever having won a tournament before he won his first tournament. This was a, the first exposure a lot of people had to Scotty Scheffler. Tell everybody what Scotty Scheffler is about. He's just interesting in in his makeup. He's only 25 years old, but there's a there's an old soul quality to him, and a just you know these young guys like Amorakawa is not much younger. Um, you know, Justin Thomas is a little bit older, um, but you look at this this group of those these 20 somethings and there's so many of them, and he feels like the old guy of the bunch, and he's not. Um, he looks like the oldest. He certainly looks like right, the oldest. Yeah, right. No, they said people say he's got sort of like the he's got sort of like the dad vibe about him, and he's he's a very serious dude. He when he was a kid, 
the story goes that he, he in the heat of the Texas summer, he would wear pants when he played because he wanted to look like a PGA Tour pro because that's what he aspired to be. And there's no nonsense or BS about him. Uh, he came on my show the week before the Masters after he became number one. And he's very, you know, humble and matter of fact about being number one. That he just, none of it felt different. He's like, I'm just the same guy doing the same stuff. He put, put, you know, the process above the results wasn't worry about winning or rankings. That, you know, if you just do the work and it kind of takes care of himself, uh, itself. And, you know, I think you heard him talk very openly after he won about being a really emotional Sunday morning, thinking, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm ready for this because, I mean, I don't want to overstate this. You know, you're, I get that people might hear the way we talk about the Masters and and roll their eyes or think it's a bit of hyperbole, but it's a kingmaker. You know, it's a life changer. You win it and you're different. And he wakes up Sunday and thinks, holy shit, am I like, this is a lot. You know, what if I've got the lead. What if I don't? I mean, I don't know if that's what he's thinking, but it would be reasonable if he did, right? And... Then he goes out, and Smith birdies the first two, and the whole thing's wobbly on three, and he chips in, and Smith bogeys, and then it's like you could t- you could exhale, and from there he just never really wavered. But in terms of his game, um, I mean, if, if you especially if people that play, you watch, and you go, what's he doing with his feet, man? His feet are all over the place, and it's not a swing you necessarily teach because it's sort of not it's not technically the way it's the, the game's taught. Um, but it's his, and he knows he knows what he's doing. But I mean, he's a bad boy, man. Like he took on John Rahm in the Ryder Cup, beat him, um, won his first one on Super Bowl Sunday, and, and hasn't stopped winning since. And I, I think it's all legitimately a bit overwhelming to him when he looks at it in its totality, right? Like this is you're you're now the guy, and it happened in a hurry. And so now he, he just has to sort of figure out what that means. You know what comes with that. But he's a, he's a serious kid, a kid, young man um, who is really likable, um, sm- easy smile, you know, good guy, the, the whole bit. Just There's just not a whole lot extra there. Like, he's not out there trying to be flashy or, you know, anything else. He's just about the work and the game, and, and here it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, most golf fans' first exposure was that Harding Park, you know, where he was right, where he was right there with Morikawa, and really, I I'd never heard of him before before then. Um, that was his first PGA, Kevin. That was his first one. I mean, coming into the Masters, he put the last six majors. He played in seven, and the last six were all top twenties, including Harding Park, where he's in the last group and. You know, he told me that made him believe, you know, that he could compete because he was there and he kind of hung around and never had that moment where he was exposed as being on, on not ready for the moment. He didn't win, but it wasn't because he wasn't good enough. He just more, more kind of went crazy at Harding Park. And, you know, that that gave him belief like, oh, like, OK, I'm here and this is what I'm supposed to do. So, you know, I, I, I'm probably off on this, but this is just kind of my impression. Like, we really felt like Spieth was going to be the guy there for a while. And because everybody always p- frames it in the, you know, in, in sort of with Tiger as, as, the, as the goal. Like, can, can Jordan get on one of these runs and w- start winning a lot of majors? But there were people that said there's one flaw to his game, and that is he doesn't hit it very hard. hard. Uh, doesn't hit it very far, excuse me. Um, DeChambeau, the last couple of years look out this is going to be a major run but there were always some questions about you know physically the whole thing 
Uh, now are people going to say this about Scheffler? I mean, he's won four times in the last two months, um, which is an incredible run. I mean, it, this is what people are going to say about him. What do you make of his future? I mean, what do you do? You, do you put him? Is that is that a comparison that's 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 um, that's apt? It's going to happen just because when you win this much, this this quickly, and you win a lot of different ways. In other words, you win in Phoenix, which is the, the rowdiest, most raucous event you see of the year. And then you win in Orlando at Bay Hill in conditions that were incredibly difficult. And then you win a match play event, which is obviously, by definition, different than a stroke play event. And then you win the Masters. Well, that's, that's sort of like four different flavors of ice cream. Um, and so that invites people to get not ahead of themselves. It invites them just to, to go crazy and go, well, how many can he win? The, the, the pump the brakes part of it for me is that Brooks Koepka is still here, right? He didn't go anywhere. And you mentioned Spieth. He's, he's still in the mix. He's 20-something. Justin Thomas is, you know, he's really wanting to get that second one because he's, he's, if you want to say only, he's only got the one major. Um, Rory's still right here, and he's hadn't won a major since 2014. And I guess what I'm getting at with this answer is that winning these is really difficult because of the depth of who's here. Um, you know, like you, Dustin Johnson shows up in the high line. You're like, oh, yeah, didn't he shoot 20 under here yeah. in November? That, one, that, they, that year they won't yet. Yeah, he's still here. It's just there's so many people that to think that you go on a, a run where, uh, I mean, if you win, say you say, say won three or four majors over the course of the next however many years. That's a, that's a shit ton of majors. It's Hall, it's <laughs> it's Hall, it's Hall of Fame territory. It starts to oh, put him into that conversation. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So I think that's the, that's the problem that we have with the way things work now is that there's, there are probably a decent number of people that weren't that familiar with Scotty Scheffler not long ago who now are going to try to are going to rush to say, well, then I guess he must. He's probably going to win ten majors. Well, right. if he does, then that's going to put him third in the history of the game so it's just it's probably reasonable to just to look at what he's done in the last two months and certainly recalibrate what you think he can be moving forward but try not to say he has everything has to be seen through some lens of tiger woods or double digit majors or something because that just mostly has never happened Couple more, and I'll let you run. Uh, specific to yesterday, I, I thought three was the the critical of shot. Uh, he, you know, Cam Smith opened with the two birdies. Uh, they were within a shot all of a sudden, and then Scheffler's off the green and chips in on three. I thought that was the biggest shot of the day. Do you agree? Without question, because Scheffler hit a hit a big swooping hook and. You know, he gets relief because of, the, because of the leaderboard. And then I thought the shot that was the shot was Smith's second. Because once Scheffler missed the green, if, and that, 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 that green is so tiny and so difficult to hit, when, when Smith missed the green with his second and the ball rolled right back down to where Scheffler's was, that was a chance that Smith let go to really exert pressure. And then because Scheffler hits first, then he makes it. And then Smith ends up making bogey. Well, now all of a sudden, all that work you did over the first two holes to get within a shot with a guy that we found out later was feeling all this pressure, well, now it's gone. And now you've, you've spent three holes, and you're right back to where you started. And I think 
you know, even then he still was in the mix uh, right up until 12. Yeah, until 12. When, when Smith made birdie and then Smith rinsed one, which, you know, that's been a, when Tiger won in 19, you know, three different guys right right around Tiger yeah. put it in the water. Yeah. Molinari. Yeah, Molinari. Yeah. yeah. Um, all, all of them. I mean, 12, 12 has always been pivotal, but there's no doubt that the, the, he was – he was definitely on the ropes, and and three was was a, a knockdown of his own. Do you like Cam Smith? I actually really am a fan of his, and I was rooting for him oh, he's yesterday. Awesome. He's awesome. I'll tell you a quick story. He, so he comes down to the uh, he comes down to the Butler Cabin on uh, Thursday after he shoots sixty eight, opens and closes with double right, and still shoots 60, 68, which is insane. Um, and he's you know, such a sort of quiet, unassuming guy. And we were sitting there just chit-chatting a little bit as we were waiting to come on. And then after we got done, I shook his hand and it was like, like super, super like sweaty hand. And I, and he said to me, he goes, mate, I've never been more nervous in my life. <laughs> and I, and I, and I, and I looked around and I laughed. I'm like, I'm like, I said, oh, I'm, I said, I'm just on cable at midnight. I'm not that big a deal. And I, and I laughed and I said, I know Butler, right? He goes, yeah, I, I always wanted to come here, you know, for the first time on a Sunday. And I said, well, you know, I said, come down, come back on Sunday. Cause you know, I always say the same thing to these guys. I'm like, Jim's here and he's got a much better parting gift than me. Um, but it was just so funny to be reminded of where I sit for those first two days right. and, the idea of hey, would you go down to Butler Cabin for an interview? I mean, that's that's a big deal, and I just thought, isn't that great? You know, here's here's a guy who's an excellent player who just played a great round, and just the idea of being here is a great reminder to me of the event that I get to work. You know what I mean? Lastly, Rory's final round, sixty-four, and the shot—I mean, the shot at eighteen was incredible. I actually thought he could have had a better round. It's uh, the, the drive on fifteen was a killer because um, he needed to take advantage he of had that. Kevin, Kevin, he had eight iron into the second hole for his second shot in five. I mean, he missed—he missed two par five opportunities and still shot sixty-four. Still. It was—you know—the the people that that follow the game uh, very closely know that he's sort of been the king of don't play well early for whatever reason. Right. And like, frankly, reasons we can't figure out, but then go, go, go low on the weekend and, you know, backdoor a top 10. Well, this wasn't backdoor a top 10. This is finish second and really invite people to go to do what we're doing right now. Go, man, you know how close he was to shooting like even less than that, you know? Yeah. And if, it, if, it, if he just, if he could just get off to a decent start one of these times, you know, maybe he finishes off the slam. But he and Morikawa were just showing off, you know, two, two guys that enjoy each other's company who are both multiple major champions. Uh, and they were both, I mean, I think, I want to say, I want to say Morikawa shot five under and got beat by three. Um, because uh, Rory shot eight yeah, yesterday. Um, yeah, Mor- yeah, yeah, yeah. Morikawa shot 67. And and, and Morikawa told me after the round, he said, "I've just I've never heard a sound like that in my life." That's what Rory <laughs> said too. Yeah, he said it was the loudest he's ever heard it at eighteen. That's, it was just so cool. I mean, and then and, and you know after after Rory makes it, you know more seeing more like seeing Rory respond with, you know, he was just a psych to see Colin make it because they both kind of knew where they were. Right, right? We're, we're not going to win. We're not going to win, but you know, kind of fun to flex on the, you know, flex for the folks here on the on the 18th. It was awesome. What a, so, what a scene that was. Unfortunately, that was really the most 
the most drama we had because Scheffler had had built such a lead that by by the end, they're really. I mean, a guy like I don't know how many putts he had on eighteen, but four. it just didn't make it. Four. It was so it, aw- it was so awkward, and I felt so awful for him. But I loved before the last one where the crowd really came um, to his assistance and started chanting his name. But it was it was odd. Um, uh, something tells me that if he had to make those putts, he would have made them with the way he was putting all weekend. But but back to Rory. So what are what is the reason that Rory hasn't won a major since 2014? He's, he's never put himself in the mix. It's the strangest sort of phenomenon. I mean, it's there's a reason he's got this rep, and it's he doesn't play horribly, but it's just kind of kind of spins his wheels and doesn't you know puts himself you know eight back or something heading into heading into the weekend and then it's just it's just too big a hill to climb and then the talent takes over you get you know, kind of freed up and you just say the hell with it let's just go play I don't know I mean there seems like there's there's some sort of sports psychology in here of just I mean how do you tell yourself to play the way you play on Sunday on Thursday because you know, if Rory goes out at Augusta on Thursday and shoots 64, well, now everybody's like, "Here we go, giddy up, right?" But I mean, he hadn't won a major since 2014, which isn't to say that's a hundred years. It's not. It's just when you're him, it's the kind of thing where you go, "Huh, that's that's a while for somebody as as talented as him." Yeah, I think it's I think it's shocking. I mean, you know, even the stretches that Tiger or Nicholas or any of the greats have, I'm not putting him into that category, but he certainly has has been as talented as any player of his generation. No but, you know, if he doesn't win one this year, that's, you know, it's 8 years. I mean, you're you're starting to approach a decade between majors if he wins another one. Um and I know that he's got plenty of time to do it because he's still well, what is he? Is he 34 years old now? 35? Is he almost his mid-30s? I don't even know. Um, he seems so young when he started uh, to, to contend um, in, in that first Masters. I'd be guessing. I think it's, I think it's 33. Okay. I, I'm guessing. Okay. Let's look it up. Um, okay, I'll look it up. You uh, Google it right now. I'm looking it up right now. 32, 33. Uh, he's thirty-two. He's thirty-two years old. He turns thirty-three in less than a month in, on May fourth. So that I, I, I was, I was right. If it was the Price Is Right, I, I think I would have won both showcases right there. Maybe. Um, well, no, you would have, I guess, uh, because I would have gone over. I would have been over, um, and I would have been. That, that meant as long as you're under, you're good with everybody else over. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, what else did I tell miss? Him he, tell him he's won. But <laughs> what else did I miss from? I mean, I enjoyed the whole weekend. I I, I watched every I, the um the guy that I think, and I know that this isn't a revelation at all. But the guy that strikes me, you know how they the, the, Cor, Corbin was saying this at the end, like, like you know everybody always says to Cam Smith or whatever, you'll be here one day. Don't worry, your day's coming. Well, there's no guarantee that his day's coming at Augusta. I mean, it's really hard. But everybody always says that. But the player that I think is going to win majors is this Zalatoris. Does everybody else kind of feel the same way or not? Yes, he he just has to sort out his putting. Because he is, he is as fine a striker of the golf ball as anyone oh, on the planet. Yeah, he's played there twice. He's finished second and sixth. I mean, he is just a, an absolute uh, savant in terms of ball hitting. But he's got a, a, a 
his his putting stroke, and it's something he's working on. Um, if you're like a week to week tour watcher, you know that he had a great opportunity to win out at Torrey Pines. Yeah. Um, just he missed a, a little short one on the par five 18th. You just watch the stroke, and you're like, oh god. And that's the issue. He's just he he just has to find something that he's a bit more confident with uh, on the greens and and when slash if he does the way he hits it he's going to give himself chance after chance to contend there's no question we everybody in the game agrees because he's he just hasn't played in many and he's all every time he plays he seems to be uh, a contender all right um that's it i appreciate it uh welcome back i'll talk to you this week Let's play some golf. It's going to be nice. Uh, it is going to be nice. I'm I'm up for it. I'm I'm playing already once this week, but I'm 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 ready to do it, do it again. We'll 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 figure it out and oh. uh, and you know it's it, you know I was thinking about this. I was trying to explain to my boys back in the day, way back in the day, like after Wimbledon or the U.S. Open tennis, you would go to like a public tennis court and there would be lines, you know, to play. To play tennis. Well, tennis, you know, kind of faded in this country anyway in terms of popularity. And now you can drive by any public tennis courts and they're empty pretty much all the time. But I would imagine after a day like yesterday, how many people are on the course today if the courses are open? It just, it is, you just sit there and you watch and you're like, okay, maybe I picked up something from this guy. Maybe I could do it that way next time. Um, but I would right, bet but you. Here's the thing. <laughs> we, the thing, we can't. You, yeah, you didn't. I know. No, I, you, you didn't. I, I understand. But the the, okay. the, the, ar- the overarching theme is, I would imagine, on the day after a major, it's one. Of, it's like it, it's a, a massive day in in golf for golf courses from a a customer especially and a revenue after, standpoint. Especially after, especially after the Masters. The Masters is the one that. Everyone watches, and it gets you with some nostalgic feeling. And if you swing a club at all, you just think, "How oh, to get out there?" You know, especially if you're somewhere where it's been cold. You let's get out there and you know, <laughs> swing a couple of nine irons. See, see what we got. It looked beautiful <laughs> yesterday. Um, all right, uh, I'll talk to you later. Thanks. All right, thanks, man. All right, that's it for the show today. Back tomorrow with Tommy. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.